Hello, everybody. Today is August 5th, 2018, and we're bringing you Block Digest 119 at block height 535,372. Got one more episode to go until this season finale. And surprise, we dragged Theo Goodman in today. Hi, Theo. Oh, no. Did Theo die? Hello, I'm here. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Are you ready to spend Bitcoin on coffee? I know I am. Frappuccino <laughs> for everyone, right? Yeah. This show is now even, this panel is now evenly split between North and North America and Europe. Ah. That will be fixed. <laughs> So Rick, how's the uh, how is shit going with you today? Oh man, great, really. Just a little exhausted, but ready to cover up this news, man. It's gonna, yeah. Let's talk about coffee and Bitcoin. And Janine, uh, how how is life going? Hotels suck. Oh, <laughs> uh, you, you you can vent if if you want to get it out. Well, honestly, now that this heat wave is over, it's it's a lot more. It's appealing to me a lot more now to just sleep outdoors somewhere. Just saying. <laughs> alrighty, alrighty. So, coffee, Bitcoin, Roger Ver having a psychotic meltdown somewhere. Let's get into it. So. <laughs> uh, Bloomberg put this out uh new york stock exchange owner that's ice the intercontinental exchange a bitcoin venture with starbucks and microsoft and then fortune said starbucks is going to be accepting bitcoin and motherboard said no they're not and oh what the hell's going on so um slow steady steps uh blockstream congratulating uh ice who they're partnered with on their data feed and let's dive into bocked. So all these words, confusing. What do they mean? Is it bocked or backed? I'm going to just say bocked. Right. But it's probably backed now that I think about it. That <laughs> makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I, so to be fair, when I initially saw this story, I was like, oh, shit. This is not the customs enforcement agency I'm thinking of, right? <laughs> <laughs> They yeah, got so, Bitcoin in jail cells. That that's they they probably do somewhere, but um, so backed is being established by ICE, not that ICE, Janine, and this seems like a pretty big play that's going to kind of just slowly build out. And so, first thing I want to say is they are still waiting on approval from the CFTC, but. What they're going to be trying to do is pretty much cover all the bases in terms of services and products that, you know, a big corporation like Starbucks or Microsoft is going to need if they really actually want to integrate with the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so to start off, what they're going to be doing as their first product is effectively trying to create a one day physically delivered uh, Bitcoin contract. And so this would kind of be like the uh, solid X contract. It's pretty much um, just a, 
a marketplace where you can do buy and sells with a, a one day delay in terms of the completion of the contract that would be actually backed by physical Bitcoin and delivered after the fact. But they're going to, if they get uh, CFTC approval, try to expand way beyond that to also offering uh, warehousing services, which in the financial context is pretty much a custodial account where everything kind of gets pooled together and managed uh, by backed and then expanding into general sales and as well um, trying to facilitate retail uh, purchase use. So kind of trying to start off with like this one day contract and start building up liquidity and then eventually become kind of a, a broad like service for the entire ecosystem somewhere you can buy Bitcoin, somewhere you can sell Bitcoin, somewhere where you can have your Bitcoins held, something for merchants like Microsoft and Starbucks to kind of plug into and actually be able to exchange uh, crypto that they're sent for fiat and maybe one day the, the reverse of that. But it's not like Starbucks is going to flip a switch and be accepting Bitcoin immediately or sometime in the near future. Like this, this is going to take some time to really get rolling and then really build up the liquidity and start adding additional products on top of the settlement to actually integrate merchant services. But being the biggest exchange in the world, I think they're really going to stick through and actually try to flush out all of the different products that kind of come along with this. All right, you had a joke, Theo. Well, oh no, I, I have some things to say about it. Uh, first, um, well, first the name, Backed or back, Baked, maybe? <laughs> I just wonder... I just wonder if the name has anything to do with uh, marijuana being legal in a lot of states now, because who thought of this name with the K's like that? It just sounds like someone was really high one night and was like, that's it. We're going for it. Backed, man. So that's what it reminded me of. But that's fine. I think I think it's supposed to be backed. And uh, but on a but on a technical thing that is interesting is what they want to do is this futures contract is a you did say it's back actually backed by real bitcoin that's true the futures that exist now that are on crypto exchanges are also uh backed by real bitcoin as collateral and um but this one is going to be a physically delivered future just like and coin floor uh, based out of the uk also is the first one to actually do that and so now i see ICE or ICE is going to do it too, and they're much bigger ICE. Uh, so what does that mean? That means that um, instead of a cash settled future where at the end of the future period, let's say it's a weekly future, at the end of the week, then the cash difference. So that means if I'm long one Bitcoin and Bitcoin went up a thousand bucks or a hundred, then I would be plus a thousand bucks in my account. I wouldn't actually get a Bitcoin and I have to actually pay the price of the future. Whereas the physically delivered future, you say, okay, I want to buy a Bitcoin for $7,000. And then at the end of the week, you actually have to buy it for $7,000. And the other person actually has to sell a whole Bitcoin for $7,000. So it's a different way of doing it. Uh, and you need that businesses, uh, you know, if they're really big, like that had actually 
you know, takes off, then, you know, they might need to lock in prices like that. So that's why they need, that's why ICE wants to have that uh, daily future. So I think that's, that's definitely a good, um, a good development. Now, what is the argument from Vice that says they're not going to accept crypto? And uh, I want to ask the panel besides that, what is the, why not just accept, um, you know, Bitcoin Cash or another altcoin that can, you know, <laughs> do it? Can can oh, can just be used uh, can just be used by Starbucks without having to use a trusted third party that is probably run by the U.S. government and is part of the uh, Illuminati and and you know definitely related to AXA somehow. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, but when you really get down to like the the merchant adoption in the ecosystem, it's like. It, it it's good for like a small businesses or companies in niche markets that really like see a value add in terms of greater accessibility to their already existing customer base. But when you're talking about like a, a huge fucking corporation like Starbucks, like why the hell would they trust BitPay or like, you know, any of the other merchant processors in this space? Like they're very upstart companies their banking relationships are nowhere as well established as traditional payment processors or processors that they interact with. And I mean, you can just see like almost any company in the space, like there's still a lot of the, the technical side of things to really work out and flush out and develop best practices for it. I mean, like, you know, Coinbase fucks something up on a regular basis. Like BitPay has had their own share of like big glitches. And then tried to push BIP70, which pretty much made it impossible to pay with half the wallets out there that didn't implement that uh, BIP, unless you kind of hack around with a weird tool. And like from a, a company like Starbucks point of view, like why the fuck would they, like, you know, thinking about accepting crypto is one thing, but having to go work with like a completely upstart company with no real proven track record or reputation you know, relative to legacy payment processors, like why would they even consider involving themselves with something like that? They wouldn't like that. That's exactly like what ICE is trying to do here. They're trying to build up like all of these services well, with the kind of reputation and standards that, that big corporations like that are used to. Well, I mean, if you just used uh, Bitcoin cash, you'd save a lot on credit card fees and all that. So they should just implement something hundred percent on chain. But then you'd lose all your money when Roger runs out of uh, cash to pump the price. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, the, the price stability is that. So that's why they need that futures because you know to to lock in price stability. It's essentially like insurance. You know, companies need to have insurance so they don't have to expose themselves totally to the crypto price. That's pretty typical in in a lot of markets. Uh, I'm just thinking about uh, yeah the idea of. You know why Bitcoin over Bitcoin Cash in this? Uh, in this, and I think that argument is just you know yeah you got Starbucks, Microsoft, this uh, big exchange. I think they just uh, you know they understand and look at the technology and do the R and D and they understand you know what they're what crypto is trying to do. And if you do the R and D on Bitcoin Cash, you can quickly see that there's nothing really different there as far as. Uh, the payment process you're still going through a trusted third party i mean you know it's just uh jahan and roger mm -hmm. i mean it's just it's liquidity 
you know, exactly like Theo said, like the, the, the like the backing this with futures at the core of it, like this, that are like physically delivered a day later. Like that's they receive Bitcoin, they can throw that in the pot and like lock in that settlement price. And like that, that's going to be a huge issue if there isn't liquidity, which is like why this is centered around Bitcoin, because there is just no like there's no liquidity for something like Bcash. Like, you know, if, if you start really getting a decent volume of, of retail purchases, well, you, you actually have to have the buy side liquidity somewhere on the market to get like the, the value that that is for the product you just received. And so if you, if you try to start accepting something with no like market liquidity, like you're going to start realizing losses and like no business wants to do that. Like they're in it to make money. So it's like, it, it really is like you need that liquidity. And that's one of the things that they just won't accept. Like it's not as simple as derp hit button on smartphone. You have money now. Like there's a real world value for that cryptocurrency you just sent over. There's a limit to what people are willing to pay in terms of dollars and how many people willing to pay that exist out there. And if you can't really like match those two things up, then it doesn't make sense to accept it because at the end of the day, these businesses are paying their bills, you know, covering their bottom line in dollars. And until we see much more liquidity build up in general for all of the cryptocurrencies out there, like there's going to be like that, that need to move into dollars, like Bitcoin, cannot function as an actual currency until there is enough liquidity for it to be stable. And I mean, until then, this is just like, you have to have things like this for a big business that's accepting cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I mean, like I've heard a lot of good stuff about how this is gonna bring a pretty good, I mean, as far as just people on Twitter, I've heard a lot about how this is just huge for, you know, bringing in, I guess, uh, the proper businesses and getting together the infrastructure to where, you know, people can start accepting Bitcoin. They can start doing things with Bitcoin in the crypto market. But yeah, like you're saying, I mean, there's just not much liquidity in any of those other coins. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty excited about it. Other than like, I'm still kind of reading up on this news because I thought it was a uh, product that was bundled together with Microsoft and Bitcoin and Starbucks together. And this weird, you know, combination of uh, assets or something. But now I'm, I guess it's actually just a clearinghouse that Starbucks and Microsoft are going to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, there's a, another article um, actually quoting the CEO of ICE. And like what he's saying here, they kind of like it, it calls back to like what the, the Zappos CEO, uh, Wincy's, has uh, said a few times. And actually, I don't think most people are aware of this, but a few years ago, the CEO of UPS, like United Parcel Services, actually, you know, has made similar comments. Like he, he's pretty much looking at this as like the first worldwide currency and not not specifically in the sense of like, you know, directly paying to a business like Starbucks to get your coffee, but is in like that this is a currency that can settle internationally like that. Like this, this is something that can remove a lot of friction in terms of international like commerce and actually moving money around globally. 
and like you know it's setting up a product like back like this is exactly like the kind of necessary things to really move bitcoin into that role is like it, it needs those massive points of liquidity and it needs the, those big points of interchange between other currencies in the world and you know it's like i i, I forget one but like I, i've said this like a lot before like it's not just about pull your phone out and and pay the guy directly to his phone and then that's the only thing bitcoin is for or the only thing bitcoin can shoot for like yes that's a huge part of it but there are so many roles that it can fill in the world and actually provide real value to people actually improve the the way the economy is functioning globally and like this is a huge like instance of that like there there is so much friction just in terms of moving money around internationally between jurisdictions like this this is a huge niche for bitcoin and it's not like either it's just the thing people use on their smartphones or it's just this like it can be both and it can be a whole lot more and like frankly you know like when, when you look at companies like ICE doing things like this. I mean, this is what Bitcoin is. It is permissionless. But anybody can build on it. It doesn't matter if they're a bank. It doesn't matter if there's some guy in a small village in Africa or anything in between. Absolutely anybody can. And if they see value in doing so, they will. Yeah, I guess this is just uh, such a big development mainly because of the names involved and, uh, you know, the way that they're going to find their use for it and everything. Cause, uh, yeah, I mean, these guys are huge in, um, traditional markets. And so I imagine, you know, they could definitely find some efficiencies there with the way that they currently settle transactions around the world. I mean, it's one of those stories where I'm kind of just, I understand like the gravity of it, but I'm trying to, you know, yeah, place it all in the ecosystem of like retail and, um, you know, traditional markets. And I feel like, yeah, this is going to be a big uh, influx for people that are in these traditional markets and kind of have access to, you know, brokers and everything like that. But um, I guess it also is a, yeah, just a big deal. Maybe, you know, people, if they see that they could spend their Bitcoin at Microsoft store or Starbucks, then maybe that'll just give them a little more inclination to actually pick some up. So uh, it'll be good on that side too. I'm still like uh, picking up the whole news. Uh, you know, I had a, couple of rough days of just like uh, running around town here following all these different things so i'm i need to do some uh digging or you know more digging into this story before i can actually fully comment on what's going on here mm -hmm. and i mean you know this is like another aspect of this is like everybody screams for merchant adoption but like you got to remember guys like <laughs> until we are a multi-trillion dollar market cap until there is literally enough liquidity to keep us stably in that range. If you send Bitcoin to a merchant and it's not some small business ran by somebody actually supporting Bitcoin who's going to keep that and speculate on it, they're going to sell it for dollars. Every purchase you make to a business that's not ran by a hardcore Bitcoiner, that's sell pressure that is like pushing the price down. And if you really want to see that merchant adoption, despite that, 
you need the infrastructure and more important, the liquidity to take the buy side of that and equal it out. And frankly, like you're, you're not going to see a huge company like Starbucks receiving massive payments in Bitcoin until either one, there is, or actually no, three things until like one, enough people actually have Bitcoin to want to do that. Two, we're, we're at that point where we've achieved that trillion dollar market cap or more and have some stability there. Or three, there is enough big demand to buy up all of that and just stop it from being a constant down pressure on the price. And you're not going to get that third one without products like this. And because like this is like what I see this trying to do. It's trying to bridge the the ability of a retailer to accept Bitcoin despite not having that currency stability yet with the potential demand from institutions and things like hedge funds or major like wealthy players. Ah. Because you're not going to get volume on that retail side that doesn't come with huge price down pressure unless you pair it with that big buy demand and like those are just two things that just make perfect sense to try to meet in the middle with something yeah that's an interesting way to put it i didn't think about it like that i'm also just thinking about you know all these guys looking at bitcoin and the ecosystem and how exactly can they uh get their piece of the pie it seems like a good way to do that is just like um hey uh all you bitcoin retailers don't worry about it we'll buy your bitcoin <laughs> we'll be the holders we'll be the hodlers well i mean it's like like pick one like you either find somebody to buy it or every other person who's buying or you know buying shit with bitcoin is going to be driving the price down like this is this is just how it works like that's the reality yeah, it's awesome. It's, yeah, now, yeah, you know, like I was saying, I haven't really dug too much into the story, but I have been seeing a lot of feedback of like, oh, this is huge. This is a lot bigger than, a, than most of the news you've heard in the past few years. And I suppose, yeah, that if, you know, there's that ability to sort of not the downward sell pressure of Bitcoin because people are spending Bitcoin and there's like this back end where there'll be this demand there. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's definitely like a crucial part of the infrastructure that, Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, I'm not expecting like any serious results overnight. I don't think anybody should. It's like, it, it's really silly to me. Like every time there's a headline like this, everybody's just memes about it. Like, oh my God, Starbucks price move. And it's nobody actually tries to sit down, look at what's going on and understand the actual dynamic. It's just it, it's like the entire crypto ecosystem just becomes an echo chamber of meme, 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 and it's like slow your roll, relax a little bit, and look at what's going on. Like this, this is not just gonna fucking moon overnight because of this. Like this is just yeah. a, a, a thing starting off that's going to take time to build up and actually integrate and actually find customers in terms of both like buyers who are going to use this market retailers who want to link in with customers who would use Bitcoin like this, this isn't just going to happen overnight. Yeah. I think, uh, everybody's a little down in the dumps. Like you get big news like this and it's like, what the hell is going on with the price? (laughs) Who cares? 
I, I mean, it is one of those where I was kind of curious too. I was like, what is going on? But yeah, I think I got, you know, that story a little bit later. We'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. In other news, though, dun, dun, dun. There is a mining firm in Canada who is trying to build out their own electrical grid. Wow. Uh, so DMG blockchain in Vancouver is pretty much uh, both a mining company as well as a, a company trying to build out, uh, you know, private uh, permissioned blockchain software and things like that. But what they're doing in uh, BC right now is actually trying to build out their own substation and transmission lines uh, for their mining facility. <laughs> and woo-wee. I mean, it's a little far cry from their own power plant, but like one, once they've really put the money in here, like this is something that they own. Like they're, they're still waiting for the utility to actually come and inspect and uh, verify everything. But they're saying that it should be operational by September uh, this year. And they're not going to have to deal with like the kind of the constraints of moving power around and not being the only customer being delivered power along the line. Like, you know, if, you, if you're dealing with pre-existing utility lines, you're not the only person at the end of those lines. Like the, the throughput constraint of that has to be split up among all the different customers like further down the line. Like, you know, and also you have to deal with the, the electricity loss, you know, depending on how far away you are and so on and so forth. And so this would kind of allow them to be able to get the, the, the full throughput of like what their substation can actually get from an actual power plant themselves, as well as own it. And, you know, this is kind of just a step towards like miners are not just thinking about warehouses and their equipment now. Like they're starting to move into and think about the actual power transmission, like their power sources and really start to flesh out like their own private infrastructure for that. And I mean, like really at the end of the day, I think what's gonna wind up happening here is this for now is gonna fade away. And this is just gonna be one company with their own substation and a transmission line directly from the hydro dam that they're getting power from. But I mean, it's, it's kind of showing that that interest is there and that you know, there are, there are miners out there who are really thinking long term. Like, it's not just, oh, I grab these machines, I shove them in a warehouse, and it's printing free money. No, it's like, how do we make this work for the next five years? How do we make this work for the next 10 years? And how do we deal with all the different bottlenecks and, and you know, choke points that a mining operation is going to have to deal with? You know, like we've seen in Quebec with the, the moratorium due to the, the huge wave of probably fake applications. Like just like the, the issues as far as like, you know, again, why they're doing this likely, the further you are away from the power source, like the, the more power is being lost that could potentially be powering miners. Like you're bleeding electricity, the, the more lines the electricity has to go through. And, you know, this, like, again, right now, it's just probably just going to disappear in the news cycle. Everybody's going to forget about this. But I can almost guarantee you that any major miner out there who is really trying to ramp up to massive scale is going to be looking at this 
and thinking, how do we do this ourselves? Like, what are the costs? Like, how profitable is this going to be? And like, I, I really expect more things like this to kind of pop up later down the line. Like, you know, next year, especially after we see kind of how the market really reacts towards the end of the year and whether miners have to kind of hunker down and really try to make their cost as efficient as possible or we see another explosion and just miners flocking in as fast as they can. But like this, the, the mining ecosystem is just, there's so much changing and there's so much evolution going on right now. It, like people just are obsessed with like Bitmain, where is their monopoly going? Like a few people like Cobras, we need to change the proof of work. But like <laughs> miners are not just a static thing. Like there is huge change in terms of competition in this space, like how they're setting up their operations, how they're thinking through those operations in terms of their long-term sustainability. And like the, this kind of shit is not going to stop. Like the, these people have dumped shit tons of money into this ecosystem and like that they're sunk in, like they're going to continue trying to make this viable as possible. Shinobi, I have a question. No. <laughs> well, do we really want to hand over the power grid to private companies that are mining oligarchs that are going to destroy the environment? Now they have a, you know, a free, free bond to go destroy the environment with all of the electricity because now they can produce even more if they have their own power plants and stuff. So isn't this just going to destroy the environment more and show how cryptocurrency is really bad for the environment? Damn those miners and their environmentally destructive renewable energy. You're right, Theo. <laughs> but I mean, it's like that. I like that argument is just so much nonsense. Yeah, I'm just waiting for someone to cover that. Um, I mean, it sounds really interesting. Like you said, I'm just I'm wondering, you know, what kind of power plant is it? And, you know, what's I'm sure they just want the most cost effective one and long term, you know, the best the best route for them if it's you know maybe they're going to build a nuclear power plant who knows but it's like it's, a, it's just a substation hooked up to a hydro dam from a utility provider now oh man but that makes such a better story if they have their own you know like real power plant but yeah i think you're right and that's really interesting it would be really interesting if we could get some information about how much electricity is lost like you said from being far away from where it's produced you know, that would be, it's also really, some of the mining information is really hard to get because they keep it secret, you know, yeah. about a lot of the efficiency stuff. So it's pretty interesting, be pretty interesting to try to figure out, you know, how much is lost or to get some kind of picture about that. I think, uh, I don't know, like you were saying, the mining infrastructure, like the mining situations, all these things are never really static. They're always in flux and moving and like uh, the story might be forgot pretty soon because there was a story just a couple months ago about this uh, Colorado Springs facility that had its own substation where they purchased it and they were going to lease out areas of that uh, of that warehouse to uh, mining farms. And um, yeah, I mean, like also the whole thing in Canada right now with just uh, trying to get past, uh, you know, the, like we're saying, the education there as far as people wondering what's going on with this energy, how's it being wasted and Oh man, this is Bitcoin's going to destroy the world. We shouldn't have this here. I mean, like setting up these substations and figuring out like 
where you can get the most efficiencies out of this situation might clear the air on that and might help some of these uh, communities, you know, rest a little easier if they know that some mining farms are moving into the area. Mm -hmm. And I like, I don't think like the, the power loss along the lines is like miners are losing money because of that. But like in the long term, when you really get up to the margins, that becomes a bottleneck, um, you know, in terms of how much they can expand. Like, you know, G. Willikers is saying in the chat that it's only like 5%, if I'm reading that right, that's lost along a power line. But when you really have an area in a grid that's like so jam-packed with miners that you can't really expand anymore due to just how much is being produced, like that 5% loss along the lines when, when you can't expand your, your mining operation anymore, that's 5% more electricity that you could be using to power miners. And so like, it's, it's not like a huge issue now, but in the long term, that does become like an expansion wall or like, you know, barrier in, in terms of the margins. Yeah. I mean, it's the mining ecosystem and all this, you know, it's things move back and forth and like, uh, you know, I feel like these, I don't know, we might see one day like some mining, some mining people and company come together to like have the foresight of like, we're going to create our own power station and, you know, do this. And it just seems like it's kind of uh, building up a little bit of a barrier of entry towards those retail miners and just like those home miners and everything and how they participate. But like we're saying, all this is in flux. There's P2 pool on the GitHub and like, you know, there's things that are in the pipes that uh, as far as like new designs that have miners in appliances and how all that's going to function together. Like the, the, the map is still being built as far as how exactly this is all going to play out. But as it stands right now, I mean, uh, this will probably be good, like we're saying, to help find these efficiencies and make sure that things are being done as the best way that they could do to where people are going to be okay with this sort of stuff going on in their backyard. And um, yeah, I mean, I could really kind of see in the future where maybe there are some municipal municipalities or, or state governments that say, you know, like you can build the farm, but you got to have a substation is kind of a, a parameter that's got to be set whenever you do build these large farms or yeah, it's, it's still being uh, built out and how exactly it's going to work, but it's definitely moving outward. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like Bitcoin. Like it's, let's just see how competition forces it to evolve. But Janine, <clears throat> why is Cobra losing his mind again? Uh, well, the reason Cobra is losing his mind, as you may have seen, uh, we talked about uh, the fact that Cobra made a deal with, what was the name of the exchange again? I can't remember. Paxful. Someone remind me. Paxful. They made a, Bitcoin.org through Cobra made a deal with Paxful to advertise that exchange on Bitcoin.org in exchange for, I think, around $100,000 of funding for a year. Um, and so now, as a result of that disagreement, because most people were not in favor of that happening, especially because it was the deal was technically made before it was even brought to the community for discussion. Uh, some 
people who are the main contributors to Bitcoin.org in terms of content have now decided to fork Bitcoin.org and launch btcinformation.org, which is like he says here, it's a fork of Bitcoin.org in terms of the code and stuff. And they'll just be working on that separately now uh, from Bitcoin.org and not having to worry about whether uh, Cobra does anything. Um, so yeah, if you want to hear about that, it's on episode 111. But uh, what we see so far in btcinformation.org is that they have a statement on the main page just announcing that they've launched the new website. And they say, while Bitcoin.org is still a great resource, we feel that recent events are damaging Bitcoin.org's neutrality. Furthermore, the maintainers and domain owners have, over the past years, been taking unilateral actions which go against the wishes of and occurred without the consent of the community. These actions have been driving away frequent contributors from the project. And uh, not only did they fork the website, but they actually removed some things that they thought were questionable uh, in terms of the ethics. Um, so they have a list of differences from Bitcoin.org at the bottom of the page. Uh, one thing they say is that they reverted the redesign um, in order to keep btcinformation.org visually distinct from Bitcoin.org. We have reverted the site redesign so that the website has a different look and feel to it. They've removed the events page, which was, uh, according to them, frequently populated with non-Bitcoin related events, and it was hard to maintain with new events, so they removed it. Uh, they removed the Bitcoin Core subsite uh, because Bitcoin Core is an independent project of Bitcoin.org, and so they think that they should just have a uh, the pages. They should not have dedicated pages for that because any it's pr relatively easy to find that website. Um, and they might still link to it somewhere, just not have a page. They've disabled translations because um, they don't, uh, at the moment, they're just trying to get this site as it is working in English, and then they'll apparently later re-add translations. Uh, the two things I'm interested in, though, is that they've, um, they've actually removed a lot of the trackers, such as Google Analytics, which was on Bitcoin.org, which is a good thing because that's the privacy violation. And so they've, they don't intend to sell ads and they've removed that functionality. They've also removed donations for now because they want to actually set up a distributed donation system. So a lot more decentralized than what they had before. Uh, and obviously they're not having the uh, the advertising from Paxful. So that's probably the biggest difference because that was what started the major disagreement. Mm -hmm. Although it's like, it, it is definitely not the first issue with Cobra, so to say, as far as managing the site. I mean, I think it was uh, ODOT. 13 uh the core release when cobra just inexplicably put a warning that bitcoin.org is aware of nation state threats to binaries particularly in china and warned people to um you know verify the the binary hashes when they downloaded them and he he refused to explain that for any reason whatsoever he just put it up there without talking to anybody else who contributed to the website and recently, in um, a discussion in the core Slack, which the uh, Bcash trolls went nuts with uh, selectively quoting, he pretty much refused to acknowledge that there was anything whatsoever suspicious about that. 
like that that how, how would you know that a, a nation state was going to attack bitcoin like by corrupting binaries like how how would you have any idea that that china was going to you know try to pull an attack like that like where would you have gotten that information like how how did you find out like wh why wouldn't you be more specific with that and he he just acted like there's nothing at all suspicious about that that the totally anonymous person who owns this site knows what the chinese government or intelligence agencies are doing regarding bitcoin and then you also look at his attempt to pretty much remove Bitcoin core as a recommended client and start pushing Bitcoin knots, which he just did unilaterally and had like no input from any contributors on the site. No, nothing just as like, a, Oh, look, there's other clients. And it's just like a, a long history of just weird, like unexplained things that he's just done unilaterally. And it, it's gotten to the point where, like over the last year or so, he's just screaming how long mining is a scam while shilling Bcash. And that, that, that's another thing. Like he, he has pretty much consistently denied that he supports Bcash. He just sees value in it. And the other day he was in the RBTC Reddit chat. They, they recently put in uh, chat room features. And he explicitly says he supports Bcash. And he like he's just inconsistent all over the place, doing things unilaterally, ignoring other contributors. And I mean, it's like the, the Paxful thing was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Like Cobra has just been acting completely irrationally and contradictory for quite a while now. And at this point, like it's it's just not okay that he's just in charge of this website, does whatever he wants with it. And everybody's just pointing like the, their friends or their family or newbies to this website. Like, no, it's okay. It's we're, we're changing this now. Like I am going to be pointing people at btcinformation.org from now on. If I ever am in a situation where I need to point people to a website to learn about Bitcoin, like I, I am not just throwing people into Cobra's arms and hoping that he doesn't have a fucking schizo episode one day and start shilling Bcash or start trying to convince people to download a client for a proof of work change. Like that, this is it. And like Cobra has constantly said that Bitcoin.org is his property and he can do whatever he wants with it. Well, guess what? This website is somebody else's property and they will do whatever they want with it. And I'm going to be pointing people here instead. Yeah, I actually, I remember that notice that was put out about na potential nation state attack against the binaries. And I mean, I thought at, at the time, I, I think that was like early 2016, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. Because so, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember, I, I think I remember sharing that just because I thought, well, you know, if people you know, do a proper verification process when they're downloading the client code, it can't hurt. But I did think it was a little weird, like, where did that information come from? So, I mean, it's not, it's like, it's not, it's not a bad thing to tell people to be careful, like, they should be doing that kind of verification anyway, but to, like, scare people out of the blue for no reason about that specific threat with no explanation is really weird. 
Yeah, he's uh, definitely got multiple personalities on that account. And I do remember that at that point in time, I really started to feel confident about what I was doing. And that when that came out, I was freaking out a little bit. I was like, oh, shit, I got to go compile this thing. And I got to check the binaries on this. Like, this is getting super technical. But, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely just, I don't know, the narrative coming back and forth out of there. I don't know. It just makes me feel like, yeah, there's probably more than one person in control of that account. And it's always been a little bit confusing whenever you hear, see the things coming out of there. And I don't, maybe it'll clear up the air where it's like, now we could just say, don't trust any of the Bitcoin domains. Like, you know, like bitcoin.org.com.net or whatever it is, bitcoin.whatever. Don't trust that. Like, yeah, go to btc.information or um, lot.net. You know, that's still a good one. And um, there's a couple of more information sources that uh, I've been compiling for these meetups to try and help people come in. So, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, not, not .org anymore because it is, it's just a confusing place to send people. I mean, yeah, the, the narratives from different sides of the spectrum, just, it's just going to leave people wondering what the hell they're even doing here. Yeah, and I just want to point out some people in the troll box are debating about what community means, and I'm pretty sure that the way that they've used it, like David Harding is the one who made the announcement, and like I'm pretty sure they're talking about the community of contributors. Like, there's several people that used to contribute a lot to Bitcoin.org, but their concerns were just pushed aside. Like, it became pretty clear that Cobra just wanted to dictate stuff. So when they say community, that's what they mean. They mean people who contribute to Bitcoin.org and try to put out information that is valuable to people who don't understand Bitcoin as well yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, to draw like the analogy to Bitcoin itself, like there is a client the contributors to that client propose changes. And if all of the contributors are not in consensus on something, then that change doesn't happen. If they are in consensus, it happens. And then just like Bitcoin, you know, with a website, people are free to actually use that client once the contributors reach consensus on something or they, they don't use it. Like it, it is very analogous to Bitcoin itself. It, it very much can work that way. And Cobra has decided not to work things that way. So people who want things to work that way went and made another website. I mean, this, this is how it works. Yeah, everybody forks. All right, though, Rick. Yeah. Are you, ready, are you ready for this this topic that I'm going to very much argue against when you're done? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's one of those that I brought up because, like we were saying earlier, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's bullish sentiment in the news cycle. And so we see the price drop and people are scratching their heads and I'm kind of with them. And I saw this uh, Medium post from uh, Tour de Meester the other day and I started reading through it and I thought he kind of made some good points. And, um, you know, it's I don't know that much about the market, but I, I think there's some good points. And I've been discussing this stuff uh, over the past couple of days with some people. And yeah, it's kind of hard to say like, okay, this is why for sure. So let me just get into this. Uh, I'm going to see if I can break this down. I'm sorry if I'm a little off today, guys, I'm on a different computer and different everything. But yeah, so the gist of it is like, don't expect new highs this year is the medium post from tour. 
And he sets the stage for this by uh, saying that this is brought on through sluggish retail demand, hesitation from institutions, and a current market cap that seems too high to relative on-chain activity. You know, he's saying that chances are high for this year to be remembered as a shakeout year, a lemon market in altcoins, regulators catching up, and infrastructure growing pains. This past rally to 20,000 was historic move and the collective of economic actors need time to absorb the information embedded in Bitcoin characteristics, Bitcoin's characteristic high volume rallies. And uh, he then goes on to uh, into some data points about the price falling while mining hash rate uh, continues upward. Odds are that this is a lot of new efficient miners coming online, leaving a lot of old miners in an unprofitable position where they might be selling to cover losses. And next, he's bringing up trading volumes and how they remain lower than last spring or winter. Recently, there's been an uptick in trading volume, but it could be more likely to a short squeeze than long term buyers. And then there. And then there's the Bitcoin retail market, which is still very sluggish. He brings up some data points that about less than half percent of U.S. investors, quote, will probably buy Bitcoin in the near future. And also, despite the fall in volatility and transaction fees, we are still seeing less merchant revenue. And lastly, the Google Trends suggests the retail market isn't picking up anytime soon. He then goes into a state like these... Uh, these uh, valuation models, NVM and NVT, which he makes a, a, a disclaimer at the bottom of the post, how it's like, you know, that's, these are just measures. It's not exactly a, you know, a data point that's going to be like, this is true. I mean, this is just something they're looking at, but the network value Metcalf, like that's the ratio, the NVM ratio, which is supposed to help gauge adoption in the statistics suggests Bitcoin market cap isn't justified with on-chain economic activity. We also see a similar statistic in this NVT valuation model. And finally, we're see we've seen some macro events that would appear to be bullish for Bitcoin, like this ICE story we're talking about. And it seems like every week there's something published about this ETF or something that's coming out where new technology developments on the second layer, it's just like, where's the price to match this? And uh, also the North, like the just basically geopolitical things that you think you might see a correlation with with the North Korean debacle and some Chinese stocks breaking down that we haven't seen that yet. And uh, with all that said, you know, he did say that, you know, this isn't a certain he's not saying that it's certainty that we're not going to see new highs this year because the price is already down 62 percent. And uh, the Chinese yuan is down 8 percent from March of this year, which uh, if that continues in a downward trend could be big for Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin dominance is gaining ground, suggesting investors, suggesting to investors there's a large moat around the ecosystem of Bitcoin. And uh, it'll be hard to dislodge that. And value investors are already anticipating the May 2020 block reward having and the 2015 to 2017 rally. OK, wait a minute. I'm sorry. So, yeah, they were factoring that in and and of course yeah the possibility of this ETF which this is where like I really kind of got into this at the end of this week where I've just we've been covering these ETF stories back and forth and I kind of do feel like maybe we are putting a little too much into these just I mean like I understand it would be big for the market and the price as far as like the price coming up and 
people having access to this, but I really like, like we were saying with the, these ICE futures or these new financial instruments that ICE is coming up with, I feel like these are still institutional investments. I mean, like you have to have a broker, I think, before you could get a purchase an ETF or maybe just at least know how to sit down with a, you know, a TD Ameritrade platform or something before you could actually purchase this ETF. So there is still that little bit of barrier of entry. And yeah, I just worry about if that's really going to onboard the retail market I'm thinking of as far as just like the mom and pop on the corner and how exactly are we going to get Bitcoin in their hands. But um, yeah, the final opinion on this uh, tour thinks the market likely needs time to absorb the recent 30 month rally, which could bring lower prices. He doesn't foresee new all time highs in Bitcoin for 2018 unless data starts suggesting differently. We are expecting mostly sideways or lower price action, which I'm sure a lot of people, yeah, it's not what you want to hear, but it is one of those where me on the ground, like, you know, I, I'm trying to do this whole, you know, get the retail side of things going and trying to figure out how to educate people on the ground. And I'm going to these meetups and I do see like attendance wavering with the price to the point where it's just like a handful of us that were there at the beginning. And it's, uh, it does kind of get a little bit discouraging whenever we see all these advancements and these new things that are coming up where it does feel like institutions are getting interested in Bitcoin and they're starting to, you know, expose themselves to the market. It, you'd think you'd see that price action moving with that. And so to see the amount of selling that's going on, it does make me think there is something going on in the mining market as far as uh, these new miners that are coming online that maybe haven't been, uh, you know, sold to the retail side of things yet but they're still they're efficient enough to where they're doing things and it's uh it's causing these guys to sell in order to stay you know within their margins uh it's hard to i i stay away from the price because the price is always something that's a little so macro it's hard to say it's any one thing but um tour is one of those guys that people have looked to in the past when it comes to this price stuff and being pretty knowledgeable about what's going on here in the space so when I read this, it kind of did sort of confirm some of the things I was thinking as far as uh, as much as things are getting big, it does feel like it's more institutional than retail. And we are kind of still lacking that point of sale. The, the, what we're building, we're getting it. You know, Zap's doing really great progress with the Lightning point of sale and the Lightning wallet, trying to build a great user interface for the person to use Bitcoin without having uh, the cumbersome part that we deal with and so i think there is it's gonna happen it's just i read this medium post and i was i, I kind of felt the same way about it so if you could kind of steer my opinions another way i mean like uh, i'm all for it let's let's hear what you got to say about it okay well, i mean first off sorry i i have a long list of things ah First off, the, the mining hash rate, I don't think is relevant whatsoever to how the price performs. The hash rate follows price, not vice versa. I mean, that's a completely irrelevant thing to bring up as well. During the last bear market, specifically, you know, a big example is Bitmain. Miners kept mining. Like if a miner is actually in this, you know, not just to get their Bitcoin, sell it and profit in fiat, which I don't believe most are, they're going to keep mining at a loss because they're, they're going to try and outlast the competition and be able to acquire more Bitcoin as other miners unplug. So I, I don't really see 
what this has to do with the price. Second off, I do kind of agree with him on the volume. Like traditionally, like that is a metric you can look at as far as like what's establishing solid like price levels. Like if you see a lot of volume in a capitulation in a, you know, a place people are purchasing, that's going to create a level one way or another where, you know, somebody who's bought at some point at a loss might sell there again. Like somebody who's, you know, sold previously before might buy again, like high levels of volume are definitely an important aspect. So I agree there. But the this NVM metric where he's looking at you know the the Metcalf ratio like this is nonsense. Yeah, I don't like, even know what that word is. It, it's it's Metcalf. the fucking nonsense that B cashers throw out there where the value of something is going to reflect the number of users in transaction. It's nonsense. Like Bitcoin's price is set by supply and demand. End of story. How many things are being transacted on chain has nothing to do with. As well, you're ignoring any kind of transaction that's being facilitated off-chain, like a fucking exchange, like something through like Coinbase's platform. You're ignoring batching transactions, which is something a lot of businesses have started doing after the big fee market run-up during the uh, holidays last year. Like this, this metric is just complete horseshit. And to look at this as a justification for his price call, it's nonsense. He's grabbing nonsense data that has nothing to do with why the price reacts the way it does and trying to equate a correlation with causation that that's not how this works now that said i very much like do think there is a, a real possibility that we just continue sideways or go down like th this is generally the pattern you can confidently say bitcoin has followed since it began like there are periods of long consolidation, there's a huge run up in price, there's a retrace, and then we go into another period of consolidation. So that said, like, yeah, he very much could be right. Although I think a lot of the things he points at to back up his speculation are nonsense. And it's like, these are not things you should be basing any calls like this on. But on the other side, like, I, I fully expect the more liquidity comes into the market, the more we're going to see the bear bull cycles compress and be much shorter in time. Like, for instance, he looks at the last bull rally, who is like almost two years long, really, kind of coming up from the bottom all the way to the crazy blow off at 20K. Like, as more money comes in, more people are paying attention and like seeing what's going on, like, those moves are going to happen faster. Like, I, I do not think whatsoever we're going to have another two or three year bear market like after Mt. Gox. Like, there is too much money in this space. There's too much attention. There's way too much infrastructure being built out. So, I mean, really, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say whether the price is going to go up or down. Like, it could do either. But I don't think we're going to have the long kind of extended markets, you know, in terms of following a single trend like we used to. And I think a lot of the data points that Tur is looking at are just nonsense. Like those data points don't mean anything in terms of trying to actually predict price. Yeah, I'd say that the uh, those NVT, NVM, I was uh, looking into that a little bit before the show. And it was just like, where exactly is this coming from? And how exactly does this translate into price? Because like we're saying, it's so macro and everything that uh, 
I wasn't too sure about it either, but it is just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't like making uh, price predictions or anything like that. I just, yeah, I just kind of, I don't know. I guess I was just like a little, I'm a little uh, kind of curious about, I don't even know if I'm curious. It's just like, I was kind of been hearing a bunch about, oh, you know, we've got this, we've got that. And yeah, it's like this uh, bear market cycle, but all these things that people are looking at in this macro thing, I don't think they look at that. You know, the data points, they don't see like, you know, this, these uh, coins that are being moved around off chain or like the, uh, I don't know how many people are actually looking at the OTC market and how much available supply is really there because yeah, when the FOMO does set in, I feel like the price rise happens so steep because supply drains out so quickly. And like, I don't ever really see people, I don't know how, I don't watch that much price news, but I mean, I don't know how many people factor that in where it's like how much actual available supply of Bitcoin is there to go around to where whenever the bull does wake up and start running, like, I mean, it's not going to go that far before it just like jumps through the roof. But uh, yeah, I'm almost just thinking like, why did I even bring up a price story? But it is something where I've been, we've been covering the stories and I've been talking it and I've been seeing the developments on the ground and it does make me kind of just look at the price and go, what the hell is going on? Other than, I guess there's just, uh, yeah, some people that are trying to sell to cover some loss. I mean, some of the, I went to this event this past week and I listened to this guy talk about taxes and the way that people could write off losses and then buy back in and then you know, basically you're getting a free buyback in just because you could write off the loss and then buy back in. And it's some weird mechanics there going on with price and the way that all these, uh, the money gets moved around within the system. So to say like, we know it, like it's going to do this. Uh, yeah, definitely not. I mean, it is curious as to how this stuff has been going on and it's still sideways and down. I guess it has to do with multiple factors that, you know, it's hard to zoom all the way out and look at it and say like, okay, it's this thing or that thing. So yeah, like, yeah, the hash rate price causation thing is a joke. I think he's talking about just like more efficient miners coming on board and like what that would do to the old mining farms that don't have these new efficient miners. Like would they have to start selling a lot of their, you know, reserves to cover losses? But I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so I just want to point out that this idea that we're in a bear market is kind of crazy to me because literally at this time last year, August 4th, August 5th, August 6th, we were at $2,700 and within a day we went to over $3,000. This is not a bear market, guys. Like the price we have right now is two to three times the price that we had this time last year. This is not a bear market. <laughs> like everybody needs to calm down price brings in those emotions yeah it's temporary it's all always temporary i mean like you know it's gonna do something different i mean that's the way all these things are in flux and i mean like shinobi's saying the uh timelines between those bull and bear markets are probably just gonna get shorter um, speaking of which, so we've been, we just went below 7,000 for like the last hour or so, and now we're above 7,000 again. Oh, whoops. Magic. But speaking of price and emotions, I bet you there's some very pissed off Chinese traders right now. <laughs> oh, man. I heard about this one this weekend, too. So, okay, Axe. Um, the, I believe the Hong Kong um, subsidiary of OKCoin. OK 
had a little bit of a trouble uh, over the past few days. Um, a trader opened a massive amount of uh, long contracts right after a big dip, uh, valued at around $400 million on leverage. And so pretty much what's happening here is he is buying Bitcoin, hoping the price goes up so that he can sell and realize a gain at a higher price. And a counterparty is going to be betting that it goes down and pretty much selling Bitcoin to buy it back cheaper. And so being on leveraged, like neither side actually has the entire amount going up. And traditionally, you know, uh, on, a, on an exchange, what they'll do is they'll kind of set things up so that you'll be able to take what you do have as collateral. And after the price has moved against you to the point where your collateral is now all lost, they will liquidate your position and sell it to somebody else. And so pretty much this, uh, this Uber bull went way overboard. And by the time his account was liquidated, um, they were unable to actually like cover this. Like they, they was sold at a, a price that exceeded the collateral. And so OKCoin was kind of left holding the bag at a huge loss. And so what they ended up having to do, which they've done in the past, like this is kind of a, a standard thing really for the most part with leveraged exchanges in the ecosystem, is they took the difference out of the, the profit of the people who won the bet. So the people who were going short. And they pretty much had to socialize around $9 million <laughs> of, uh, of losses there. And uh, you, you can see on the chart here, this big V dip is where this guy went short and then it came up and went way back down. <laughs> and so, um, OKCoin is pretty much saying that they're going to be looking at their policies and um, trying to set something up to really prevent this from happening again. Although we'll see how that works out in the long term. But yeah, this is, um, this is why you should not just pretty much gamble with um, millions of dollars on very high leverage. Um, and not only did this guy completely lose his shirt, but it's just like it, the, the leverage introduced risks. Like if you're not able to sell that position after somebody's collateral is eaten up at the price where only the collateral is eaten up and there are not extra losses that have to be covered. I mean, this, this is what happens. Like either the exchange has to cover that out of pocket or like the, you pretty much wind up where the, the guys who, who won the trade, so to say, uh, you know, kind of just have to suck it up and, and lose some of those profits. And I mean, generally, like a lot of exchanges, like OK, even OKX does this and BitMEX does as well. What they'll do is when they liquidate a position and they're able to get, um, you know, a little more than um, than they need to just kind of cover it then that goes into an insurance pot and they kind of just build up that pot 
for instances like this to kind of cover these losses. But in OK Access case, like the, the insurance pot was nowhere close <laughs> to being able to cover all of this. And <laughs> so I guess the moral of the story is uh, don't go full degenerate, uh, you know, high leverage. Uh, you'll lose your shirt. And in the case of massive uh, values like this, you'll uh, probably piss a whole lot of other people off and uh, lose them some money too. <laughs> yeah, this is why I stay away from those margin leverage positions. Everything just sort of goes bad quick there if you don't know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> uh, yes, man discovers fire. Uh so yeah that's yeah you're you're right shinobi you went on to it that so every time a position is liquidated a little bit of that money to make a long story short a little bit of the there's a little buffer and that little buffer goes into the insurance fund and then the insurance fund is there for situations like this and i think the bitmex insurance fund for example is at an all-time high so there's also more uh, conspiracy theories about this that we didn't get into that are that are interesting. Oh, there's uh, conspiracies. Yes, yeah. of course, of course. But I will. I just want to say that uh, yeah, you did describe it pretty well. Um, it does go to an insurance fund, and essentially the futures um, are basically a paramutual betting uh, pool, a betting pool, and essentially, and that's why uh, there are sometimes clawbacks or so-called socialized losses, and that is what happened here. Now, to give this system credit, it hasn't happened very often that there have been really big clawbacks. I haven't, you know, not prepared to say how much and what date or whatever, but it's been a pretty rare occurrence, and the insurance fund system has worked pretty well, actually. This is just one exception to it. So there's two main conspiracies or, or reasonings for this guy's bet. Uh, the first one is it's a very complex kind of way to build a synthetic derivative where it wouldn't ma the worst case would be that he could buy back his liquidation. That's a real short way to explain it. So imagine that you make a synthetic derivative that is long volatility and you set it up like that. And then so it wouldn't matter. The person had, you know, some other positions on other exchanges, so it wouldn't matter if it went up or down, he would still be in the plus. That's one one way to do it. If you want to investigate that, someone made a pretty long post about it on uh, Reddit Bitcoin markets. It's interesting. I don't know if it's true. Nobody can confirm or deny that, so there's no way to really do that, but it's just interesting to think about. The other funny or interesting uh, conspiracy theory is that, yeah, it's uh, just someone from another exchange trying to damage OKX. Because this is really, this isn't really good for OKX, you know. So you know, using leverage against the the exchanges, using leverage against each other, trying to out leverage each other, uh, is you know makes for a much better uh, crypto film that you can watch after the show, starring Shinobi as the guy that from the other exchange. I'm just joking. That's another time. <laughs> uh, but that would make a good. But that would make a good Hollywood movie. You know, I can see it now. A guy in a in a in a hacker hoodie with a mask, like ch -ch -ch, typing really fast, like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna nuke OKX here. Look at this." And he just took the money. Where did the money come from? Well, it just came from the other person, the other exchanges, um, insurance fund. <laughs> that's a, you know that happens to be 
really big right now. So that's that's another funny theory. It's kind of hard to prove it either way, or maybe it's both, or maybe it's none. Who knows? But I just wanted to throw that out there for interesting theories. If you have a theory, ladies and gentlemen, please put it in the Good comments below. Sam. Not forget okay. to subscribe and give us a thumbs up. <laughs> but only if you want to. Uh, <laughs> right, but only if you want to. Yeah. But okay, uh, Shinobi, are we uh, coming to the end? Is that what you were trying to signal? Oh, I I was just uh, I was trying to trying to blame Bitmax Sam so that so that other people cannot continue coming up with conspiracies about Bitmax. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like it all makes for a good movie or a Netflix show or something. I know it's coming. All right, new though. theory. Bitmex is behind Tether. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's great. It's all with the Puerto Rican connection, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, though. Corruption. Also, what's his face? Oh, uh, you ruined my segue. <laughs> <laughs> ah. All right. So, Coinbase refusing Venezuelan withdrawals. Um, Eduardo Gomez posted this screenshot of Coinbase uh, telling him that withdrawals are not supported in his country on the uh, 2nd of August and tagged Coinbase support. So is Coinbase being a bunch of shitbags? Are they trying to fuck over people in a country that could probably most benefit from Bitcoin? No, they are just fucking incompetent. No, you don't say. So they're just incompetent? Yep. There was a bug in their system that was pretty much shutting down mm. withdrawals, it looks like, based on country. And a number of Canadian users were actually affected by this as well. Uh, so CCN uh, kind of reached out and talked to them. And a Coinbase uh, representative said, the, the issue affecting cryptocurrency sends is now resolved. We identified a bug that affected Coinbase.com in a few countries and have successfully deployed a fix. Cryptocurrency sends through the Coinbase mobile app were not impacted, so internal transfers. And we'd like to thank our customers for their patience while we resolved this issue, this latest issue in a long line of ridiculous technical issues that constantly seem to crop up and affect Coinbase services. Hmm. The, the irritating thing to me, though, is um, the, the CCN article tries to spin this as it speaks to the reputation of Coinbase in the space that the exchange was not suspected of trying to rob users, meaning that it may be one of the few cryptocurrency exchanges that has achieved a size and tenure to finally be considered relatively trustworthy. Well, or, wait a minute. I like that. Relatively trustworthy. Let's use that more often. That's great. Or it's, or it's just that they're highly regulated in the U.S. and that if they tried to rob people and exit scam, everybody would get thrown in fucking jail and nobody wants to get thrown in jail. Maybe that. Maybe that they're trustworthy. I have a, I have maybe, a theory. Maybe that's <laughs> Sorry. because they've, they've also hired former regulators. And I read uh, there was an interesting part of uh, Nassim Taleb's book that he mentioned that uh, the reason companies hire former regulators is, is not only to like, you know, kind of get their foot in the door in terms of that favor from other regulators, but 
also because it's advertising a bribe to current regulators that hey if you like if you want to join us in this game then maybe we'll hire you someday and this is how much you'll get and i would like to point out really quickly that coinbase has three outstanding class action lawsuits one of which is specifically for seizing funds and shutting down accounts and not uh responding to any attempts to contact them by the customers or returning their money just just want to put that out there oh man yeah it just sucks that the bug hurt the people that really needed the most right well yeah i mean it's like this is like you know it's this is not the first bug coinbase has had this is not at all the first time people have been locked out of like their accounts by Coinbase are unable to do what they need to do with their money. And like I said, like they literally have an outstanding class action lawsuit for not returning people's money and shutting down their accounts. So the, the idea that they're being praised as trustworthy because they fixed the bug, like you're out of your fucking mind. Like this company is one of the biggest shit shows in this ecosystem. <laughs> Hey guys, I have something to say. I have a better theory. Okay. Let's hear it. So, well, um, well, just as I said in one of my predictions on World Crypto Network, dating back to 2016 at some point, I said that Coinbase would turn into a shitcoin exchange. And now that is coming to reality as they announced that they're adding 10, 20 or more shitcoins to their exchange. And since the users cannot withdraw right now, they'll be maybe they'll be forced to use alt buy altcoins and then use the altcoins to withdraw since the those don't have bugs yet since they're newly introduced into the system. So that's the that's the conspiracy <laughs> theory that it's used to bring liquidity to the new altcoin markets right away because the new wallets and the new systems won't have bugs yet and they'll be able to buy altcoins withdraw using them. Well, Theo, I have to throw a wrench in that theory because in their recent Damn announcement it. regarding Coinbase oh, no. custody, all of these shit coins they're supporting, uh, you can't withdraw. All they do is what? just hold them for you. XRP, EOS, Monero, NEO, Dash, so VeChain, Tezos. We'll so hold them like, for you. It's just like a derivative or what? It's just like you you sell it and then you can withdraw the Bitcoin or the fiat or what? 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 It's okay, a storage-only system. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm, just, I, I'm embellishing a little bit. I bet you it has really low fees, <laughs> too. That's why it's really good for getting new users so that we can introduce new users to, you know, total assault via fees. That's a great way to introduce people into the crypto economy, I think. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, this is, like, I, I really want this to get, like, roll this out as fast as possible because like this service is going to be the perfect like canary in the coal mine like how shit coin crazy is big money are are like institutions are they really going to buy up all of these fucking top tier shit coins like props like like token card definity filecoin because Ontology. coinbase can securely hold them for you now Foam. What is foam? Oh. They're missing Pepe. 
That's important. If they have Pepe po Cash, then it's okay. Is polka dot that thing made by those people who had that multi sig failure? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Not not really too keen on that one. What one chain? <laughs> I don't know one chain. I don't know if you heard of uh, Hedera Hashgraph. Now that's on some different level of craziness. Uh, there. I mean, sir. Anyone listening? If you think, I mean, it, it the Hashgraph thing. Maybe it works on your private little chain thing. The public version is totally nuts, to put it in a in a in a mostly trustworthy way. Relatively trustworthy. There you go. Mm -hmm. Here's one question I have to ask, though. Um, I've always praised Coinbase for their cold storage setup for Bitcoin as the one competent thing they've ever done. But I, I really do have to ask this question. What good is it if they do a good job at keeping keys offline if the ERC-20 contract that holds these tokens is completely fucked? Then what? What happens then? Well, then I'm sure their insurance covers it. <laughs> oh man, scams all the way down. Yeah, can you actually imagine someone from Coinbase going to the insurance company and being like, "Okay, we have just suffered a loss in this coin because of a smart contract failure," and they're like, "What coin? Uh, ontology." <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm picturing right now. They're like, you know, our entire balance was, you know, nuked because of some failure in this particular smart contract. So we need to make our users whole and we're taking advantage of this insurance policy that we have. Which I'm I sure don't even don't. think their insurance covers crypto. It's just the fiat balances. I don't know, but... If there is an insurance that covers it, I'm sure it's expensive. Mm -hmm. All right, though. Half hour to go. Got a lot of stories. Into the next one. We go. We. What is it? All right. So Square put out a quarterly report uh, recently and is moving away from public exchanges to private brokers for their Bitcoin service in Square Cash App. So, we, this is going to be a good thing, I think, long-term for them. Like, they're not doing a lot of volume in terms of people actually buying Bitcoin yet, but they, you know, there's still a lot of functionality for them to roll out. They've only kind of offered the buy and sell feature to kind of really dip their toes in the water before they really start expanding the service to really see like interest. And, you know, it's not an insane amount, but I think it was $37 million of volume they did over the second quarter. So, you know, it's a growing thing. And I think it's actually now single digits, I think around like 5% or something of their uh, net income for square cash. That's actually coming from Bitcoin now. And, Pretty much what this is going to allow is a lot more, you know, volume without slippage. <clears throat> like previously, like kind of going to public exchanges for this. I mean, after a point, like their price is going to start to swing out of line with the average of other exchanges out there. You know, if they, if you get 
more people wanting to buy Bitcoin through Square Cash than there is available at the exchanges they were using at those prices, then it's going to lead to kind of an uptick in price just through Square Cash. And by kind of moving away from dealing with public exchanges for this and moving to private brokers, they can actually get much more of a volume and start kind of indirectly brokering like themselves potentially, if it makes sense, kind of like how Coinbase does. Like when you buy or sell Bitcoin through Coinbase itself, like not GDAX or any of the actual exchanges um, products that they run, you're actually buying the Bitcoin directly from Coinbase. And when you sell, you're selling it to Coinbase. And so, you know, it's again, kind of still not really that big in terms of things uh, compared to the other on and off ramps in the ecosystem. But I think this is definitely a good like switch for them just kind of looking at the potential for long-term growth because now they can kind of move away from depending on other exchanges with order books and actually meet much higher volume without that kind of price discrepancy and slippage if their user base that's uh, interested in buying Bitcoin actually continues to grow. So we, when can I deposit and cut up my shift card, motherfuckers? Yeah, that's what I want to know too. Let me deposit and I'll throw that cash card around. Mm -hmm. All right. Peanut Gallery, got anything to say? I'm talking to you, Theo. <laughs> I'm offended that you've called me a, um, a peanut. I said peanut gallery, dude. You're, unbelievable. You're the art guy. This, this, this is harassment. This is online harassment by uh -oh. toxic, toxic Bitcoin maximalists. There's uh -oh. a lot of example. <laughs> Every, everybody, knows, yeah. everybody knows that Shinobi was referring to the peanut ICO. There you go. I don't have a lot to say about it. I mean, great. You know, if they want to do OTC, it probably makes more sense. Probably means they're doing more business if they're switching over to sourcing on OTC rather than using public exchanges. So that's pretty typical for, I think, for businesses that are doing a lot more. And yeah, it's probably more efficient for them. And um, they probably will save on fees overall, too, because they're able to, you know, get a better spread probably on that. So that's good for them and i don't know how it affects us that much but if you are going to cut up your card or do something like that then do it in a ritualistic fashion and video it for us okay of course i will like i'm going to smash my okay. key with a hammer when i get my cold card i'm gonna, I'm gonna get my phone and i'm gonna set it up like down the stem of the hammer in like a still frame and just smash the fucking key key and so it looks like the hammer is like not moving at all yeah, I'm going to put a lot of production into this, Theo. It's going to be awesome stuff. I just want to thank everyone that's watching us right now. Without you, this wouldn't be possible. All 44 viewers, thanks a lot. Make sure to retweet us and give us a thumbs up. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to DM me and send me Bitcoin. I'll give you a plot of land on Mars. Yeah, I saw that. I'm, I was thinking about investing in that. Mars, yeah. Where's Bitcoin land? That sounds awesome. All right. Shinobi, has there been plumbing set up and stuff? Like, I, I, I need to know that.
Oh yeah, totally, totally. All the plumbing, the electrical grids, um, you know, the utilities—they they were all set up months ago. It's all good. Is it is is set. the plumbing like? Is the plumbing gonna be like the Mars movie situation where you know you have to, you know, create water and then grow potatoes using your own shit? That kind no, of plumbing. It's perfectly top of the line carbon fiber. Just send me your Bitcoin. I will transfer you a deed in six to eight weeks. But I, I do have to say, though, that the trip to Mars is not included. So you're going to have to work that out yourself. <laughs> but everything is totally there set up. Yeah, he set it up next to that underground lake they just found, huh? <laughs> all right, all right. I keyed, I keyed. But North Carolina is not kidding. Um the North Carolina Federal Election Committee has banned um, Bitcoin donations and crypto donations for uh, election campaigns. And whoopsies. The reasoning is really kind of silly to me. Um, so pretty much their logic is that uh, you can't price it because of the wild uh, price fluctuations. Um, they're worried that it's going to violate uh, campaign contribution caps. And um, that's just... Ha, 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 because they're not already doing that. I know. It's like, it's... One, it's just silly because of how many legal constructions are set up to bypass exactly that. But, like... It's very simple. You take the cryptocurrency, you sell it, and you document the price you sold it for and when you received it. How hard is that? Like, what is a campaign realistically going to directly spend Bitcoin on? Like, they, they have I mean to liquidate it. I mean, to be fair, most of these people were trained in social manipulation and wasting money. Their math is not their strongest uh, area. It's it's still like it's it's like the the lack of logic here is like it's retarded. It's like you get a campaign donation, you declare the value, you sell it, done. Yeah, but if you have cryptocurrency, then that means Russians can contribute to your campaign. So, yeah, that's... yeah. Like, how how are we gonna price all of these rugs? We need to know a good price for the rugs because I need some rugs. Someone uh, just—I mean, you look important if you say something about Bitcoin. So, someone needed to feel important. It yeah, is ridiculous. I, I mean, like, I'm just like—I was. I'm, I took a picture of this article a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like digging it back up right now about how the IRS made dark money darker. It's like the title, and looking through it, it's like yeah, there is like there's this social welfare group called a 501c4 in the tax code where you don't have to claim where that money's coming from, and they could be donated to political campaigns as much as possible. There's so many ways that those guys could get money from sources that are dubious or whatever. The whole crypto argument is just. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a irrational fear coming from everybody with the Russia, 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 or election middling, or all this mainstream nut stuff going on. Because they could definitely still get some dark money if they want to. 
Okay, so just to quickly explain my rug joke, Paul Manafort has recently been accused of using uh, loans in carpets to money launder, which is hilarious because <laughs> I cannot think of a single person in the world who would want to loan a carpet. <laughs> so it's like the stupidest way to launder money. It's like, hello, would you like to loan me this carpet for a million dollars? Sure. All right, though. Time for a video clip. We have a very important crypto celebrity. Uh, please bear with me for a second while I switch my audio input. Just got a phone call from the SEC. I'm being subpoenaed to testify to the SEC in New York City on September 14th. Um, they want to hear my side of BitConnect. So I am very glad to tell my side about BitConnect. It's a very, it's a very, I like telling the story. It's a pretty epic journey from where I started to the end, till now. So um, that's my update for everyone because I get everyone asking What's going on with you? Are you alive? Win jail, sir. Win jail. Very Ooh. soon, sir. Very soon. Lock digest. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I so I um at a I was at an event and um, a lawyer did a presentation, just gave a quick update on you know what they think is going on and as BitConnect as an example. And uh, yeah, Trevon, it's very unlikely that Trevon will go to jail because he's cooperating. So he's cooperating fully with SEC, apparently. So the chances of him going to jail are very low. That's are why he, you look, sure about that? Because to well, my understanding, he still, doesn't, he still does not have a lawyer, to my understanding, and has been I, refusing I, this entire time to hire a lawyer. Well... You don't have to have a lawyer to cooperate fully necessarily. So yeah, I, I see what I mean. I am under the impression that he's cooperating fully and it's unlikely that he's going to go to jail. And it's very unlikely that anybody is going to get any money back that got lost in BitConnect. So just forget that. I mean, there's plenty of scams in the legacy market where people didn't get their money back and people got in trouble and went to prison. So it's very unlikely. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that that's why he's happy. Probably is because he's just cooperating. No, no, I no, mean, no, 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 no. I mean, in the legacy market, like, but you generally need a lawyer to make sure that the deal they offer you doesn't have loopholes where they can still fuck you. Sure. Well, I. You think that he doesn't have a lawyer? He. I'm again like specifically for this hearing i'm not 100 positive but absolutely every other like instance of him going on and talking about bitconnect after it fell apart he has he's had people screaming at him get a lawyer and his response has always been i don't need a lawyer hmm. well hey i'm just saying you know maybe that that lawyer in the presentation wasn't informed correctly but their presentation said that he's cooperating and all the other guys are cooperating too. The, uh, the other stars, uh, 
and uh, yeah, they're probably very Even unlikely. Carlos Matos, man, I thought he was like for no, sure. No, 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 no. The no. They're, <laughs> he's no, they're, he's missing. Like Carlos <laughs> and the guys, What do you mean missing? Those, he's in the middle of a water fast in the Bronx. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. so well, okay, so Theo, you have to consider that that lawyer making that statement may be kind of like a little honeypot to say, hey, all you other BitConnect people, if you just come forward and talk to us, if you cooperate, then you won't get in trouble. Like, like never trust those kinds of promises. Ever. No, no, it wasn't. He, I don't think that that lawyer was trying to get anyone to come forward. They were just trying to give a update on you know scams and what's going on and you know they did an update on you know what they think like you know on icos what the current you know opinion is legally and they you know whenever some prominent scams like bitconnect and you know they said that they don't think that uh trevon is going to jail it's very unlikely they think because he's cooperating I'm with you on that just because I feel like the whole cooperating thing, if you could cooperate, I mean, like there might be some, like you're saying, some back doors in there, Shinobi, where it's like, are you sure you're getting out of this? Okay. But it's the space and the SEC is already kind of just sort of figuring out what the heck they're doing here and like what, what exactly their role is. And there's already been a lot of talk about, you know, stifling in the U.S. and the regulation market and everything. I mean, there's probably some people that are go to jail, but I don't know if you're cooperating fully and you know this has all been kind of this experimental scam fest maybe that maybe he'll get lucky and get out of that yeah we'll see but he's not the only one under the sec's radar long island blockchain has also officially been subpoenaed by the sec and for those who don't remember it is the uh, iced tea company that rebranded itself to get the blockchain buzz and start looking into blockchain technology. And was shortly thereafter delisted from the NASDAQ, lost, I think, like 80% of its value, <laughs> and is uh, still, I think, attempting to appeal. Or no, no, they, they've uh, lost the appeal for the decision for the delisting. And the SEC is uh, accusing them of making a series of public statements designed to mislead investors and take advantage of general investor interest in Bitcoin and blockchain technology. <laughs> no. Oh, man. That was about the time of the Kodak cash miner and everything. Everybody was going a little nuts there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people have been saying this since the very beginning of the blockchain ICO insanity. Like, you think the SEC is not going to come in here? You think they're going to leave things alone? Like, they're a fucking lumbering bureaucracy. It will take them forever to get started, but <laughs> you guys are all fucked. <laughs> I mean, well, that continues to be proven true. Yeah, sounds like they are doing some moves to figure out to try and look back at the past and clean up a little bit. All right, all right, Theo. I think I think you're gonna like this one, Theo. Guess what it's got to do with? Peanuts. ICOs. So the Philippines um, has a proposal for ICO uh, rules and regulations that they're. Uh, Securities and Exchange Commission just published on Thursday. 
uh, pretty much they're going to assume by default absolutely any token uh, created as a result of an ICO is a security and pretty much put the burden of proof on the team to prove it is not a security, which would require um, everybody register their names, age, resume, uh, have an application to con pretty much condense everything for a review of the proposal, as well as have a independent third party uh, lawyer provide a legal opinion as to why this is not a, uh, a token that is a security. And as well, um, pretty much if you fail that review and are deemed a security, they're still going to allow you to do the ICO, but you would have to register and comply with all the securities regulations in the Philippines. Although um, I think with the current draft, there is a proposal that if you only deal with institutional investors uh, such as financial firms or you only sell to a maximum of 20 people you could be exempted from the registration process but uh, pretty much uh, you are a security unless you can prove otherwise uh, deal with it all right uh, so that sounds great, Shinobi. I, I think I, if I understand correctly, you're launching an ICO based out of the Philippines. You've already registered the company and everything. Yes, I am launching a uh, counterparty token, um, the Junsith Identity Token, as part of the decentralized Junsith Identity Program. Uh, we should be going live uh, around January of 2019, and everything will be distributed completely for free. There will be no money raised, and everybody can verify that they are, in fact, Junsith. I like that. That could be the first ever no money raised security. <laughs> Yeah, I just need to figure out how I can, you know, make some money off of it. I, I, I'm really scratching my head on this one. Well, the thing I'm wondering is that uh, it's kind of funny that they limit it to 20 people because a lot of these ICOs, when they get sold, there's usually only a few people that buy the bulk of them. Like, for example, the Brave token, uh, there was, what, three people or institutions that bought almost all of them? Like, it was a huge... It was a huge embarrassment at the beginning because you you didn't actually have that many people buying most of the tokens. So limiting it to 20 actually might not be that hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Actually, that was like one of my first thoughts reading this. Like, what is to stop a group from doing an ICO uh, pretty much just selling it to 20 people? who then go on to sell it to end consumers and just toss the actual issuers a kickback. And like, you know, I like I have absolutely no clue like what the regulatory landscape is in the Philippines in general, but like that was the first thing that popped into my head. Just get like 20 buddies, sell it to them, and then they can go on and sell it to other people and just give you a cut. <laughs> Cricket, cricket. <laughs> I'm trying to think of Philippine regulations. I can imagine they can't be that stringent on much of anything. Yeah, cricket. they're stringent on drugs, actually. Well, yeah, oh, if yeah. you're the wrong person. 
Oh no 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 no! The Philippines has the the president has literally okayed the police and military to pretty much just go around and murder drug dealers. Like that oh, that's right. That was going on. You want to be doing or holding drugs? Not at all. <laughs> yeah, that whole area. So maybe that's that could be somehow you know used for your ICO that you're going to launch in Philippines to somehow you know, get around to do some regulatory arbitrage around the drug laws. Put your drugs on the blockchain. There you go. Dealer coin, you can send a distress message on the blockchain when you are about to be murdered by the Philippines police. And we will we will send a decentralized swarm of the twenty other people who bought this ICO, and they will come save you. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, but yep. Alrighty, and moving on. Bit Pico. So we covered their uh, their lightning denial of service attack. We covered their recent claim of stress testing the Bcash network. And I, I, I kind of tried to play a little bit of the impartial card and look at, you know, the reasonable side, assuming that they're actually a legit presence in this space with the caveat of <clears throat> their complete failure to follow through on actually going through with the 2x fork. And also kind of talked about the potential that they were pretty much just a kind of false flag set up to, air quote, attack the Bcash chain and, air quote, prove it was resilient, sound, and secure with their, air quote, attack. And um, I'm going to have to conclude that the latter um, false flag nonsense is probably the likely outcome. Um, so they put out this tweet. We are no longer bullish on Bitcoin BTC and dumped all at 8,300 USD. We put our farm up for sale also. The farm, which they've never actually provided any proof really exists. Um, see again, completely failing to go through with the 2x fork when they claimed they had like a third of the network hash rate, I think. Uh, why? Question mark. We no longer want to participate in the world's most manipulated commodity. Bitcoin is now just a shit show. Good luck. Well, this spike here that they're uh, pointing out on this graph. Um, yeah, that was due to a data glitch with uh, CoinMarketCap and uh, their data feed. Didn't really happen. So um, out of nowhere, not following through with the Bcash attack, um, putting this out there, and then also deleting all their other tweets. Um, I have to conclude that this is just some deranged idiot who tried to push 2x forward by fudding, didn't work, tried to break the lightning network didn't work was trivially fixed and everybody forgot about it right after they announced it and then tried this false flag nonsense uh, where we're going to destroy bcash and then it never happened and bcashers could sit there and claim look at how sound and secure our chain is 
And now they literally just tried to FUD Bitcoin and go, we dumped it all, it's doomed, and cited a glitch on a chart that didn't ever actually happen as the place that they dumped their coins. Definitely up to par with the critical thinking skills of a B-casher. Really kind of crazy. The appeals to just the headlines and the and the graphics. Just don't look into the information that much at all. You know, those are the people that are getting. I like how they've uh, rewritten their bio to say Bitcoin is a fully manipulated shit show. Just say no. <laughs> they should just they should just rewrite it to just say no. Just that sentence. Just say no. Just say no to propaganda. Somebody's mad. Somebody's mad. They probably got liquidated. Wrecked. Had <laughs> a non-existent <laughs> fucking blip. That never happened. It was just a glitch in CoinMarketCap's data feed. <laughs> oh, man. It's like... It's like, seriously, it's like, this is... This is completely representative of Bcash FUD. They can't even correctly check their facts when they try to fund something. <laughs> it really is incredible how much more I'm seeing like this. Just like, yeah, it's like, uh, I was talking to some people this weekend and it's like, how come people actually buy this Bitcoin Cash, this Bitcoin thing? And it's like, you know, that whole Asian market, it's like I've heard a lot about it. It's just like that people put a lot of trust in somebody who is fluent in English and American, like, you know, someone from North America and in this system. And, and then I just keep seeing, yeah, different words being popped up used in context where it's like, like the word consensus, you know, it's consensus is a big word in our space, but it's like, it's also a company. And like the, uh, you know, it's like the company, the name keeps being brought up in like the same space. And it's like, wait a minute, like, what exactly is consensus? Is it a company or is it something within the ecosystem? And it's just like all this Headline, quick graphic, you know, that's, it's appealing to those people. And there is unfortunately a lot of people that listen to that kind of information and just run with it. Oh, people like that are going to lose their money because they think that just a picture on Twitter is in and of by itself proof of anything. I mean, that's, that's not how the world works. Like, for instance, hey, shit, hold on. Let me find this. Dun, dun, dun. All right, here we go. See, everybody, look, Bitcointopia on Mars is totally a real thing. Just DM oh, me, yeah. send me yeah. some Bitcoins. I promise you guys will get a deed in six to eight weeks. You just got to get yourself to Mars. It, like, it, see, it's legit. There's a picture. Already uh, how can you guys link. deny the picture? They have a really nice restaurant already there called the Mars Bars. <laughs> But it's like, yeah, I mean, it sucks. And like, you know, I try to go out of my way to like deal with nonsense I see when I come across it. But at the end of the day, um, these are mostly deranged, irrational people. Um, the vast majority non-existent sock puppets. And they're not going to stop. And it sucks. But hey, anybody who will literally just run out and believe any nonsense because somebody has a bullshit infographic and invest money in something. Well, 
you're going to lose money, buddy. Um, sorry. I hope that actually teaches you a lesson in the long run. And just at the same time, you know, the language barrier thing, it's like a real hang up there where it's like, you know, you need more than one person speaking over there that knows what the hell's going on. And, you know, anybody, yeah, over there in China and, you know, just these uh, markets where there's a lot of people running around saying various things and getting people to follow along. We need more of the uh, white blood cells of the network over there to help inform people. Toxic. And you know what I absolutely love is all the people who were promoting him a few months ago on social media have either gone completely silent or they've, they're acting like they didn't know about it. And now they've kind of turned into like, a, you know, as, what's the word? Uh, a blowhorn for, oh, he's a scammer now. It's like, yeah, we were telling you this months ago. Uh, some of us were telling you last year and you didn't listen. You were like, oh, he's my friend. We're neighbors. We live in the same state. Yeah, the, the people who are still silent about him, you need to step up and apologize because I saw you promoting this guy. You do not care. You do not give a fuck that we were telling you he had lost people money. He was a dangerous, potentially dangerous person who has threatened violence against other people. Like... The people who are silent about it and we're promoting him, you need to step up and like point out that you are wrong and you helped build this problem. And before you do that, I'm not going to trust you again. Bitcointopia is a scam. Yeah. All right. All right. You guys ready for the last one? Let's go. Let's go. I'm one wrong. more scam to talk about. So... This is probably the absolute dumbest fucking thing I have ever seen proposed for Ethereum. And we are talking about a cryptocurrency that is literally a long list of the stupidest fucking ideas that have ever been had in the history of cryptocurrency. So I hope everybody remembers the Ethereum name service. Um, it's, it's pretty much uh, like a DNS equivalent on... The Ethereum blockchain, and oops, I forgot to actually pull up the site. Hold on. But pretty much um, the major selling point, aside from websites, is it's being advertised as a, a user-friendly interface for actually transacting with Ethereum. For instance, uh, you could have uh, alice.mywallet.eth and give that to somebody instead of your actual Ethereum account address to send them Ethereum. And they can just type that in, wallet goes to the ENS system on Ethereum, sends the money, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to remember your addresses anymore. Well, here's where it goes full fucking retard. <laughs> Ethereum name service is going to be partnering with Minds Plus Machines Group who owns and operates a few top-level domains and the actual DNS system. They have a .luxe, which stands for Let's You Exchange Easily, TLD. And they're going to be integrating this with Ethereum name service, with Ethereum, so that you can actually use the legacy DNS system as a replacement for Ethereum addresses when sending money. 
Have you never heard of DNS hijacking before? Like seriously? Mm. You compromise your computer gets compromised and gets pointed at a different DNS system. You're fucked. They can redirect it. Your DNS server gets fucking compromised. You're fucked. They can redirect it. Send it somewhere else. Like the DNS system is fucking riddled with design flaws, with security exploits. Like DNS hijacking, it, it doesn't happen fucking constantly every day, but this is a well-known vulnerability that fucking allows you to just pretty much when somebody puts in a domain name, redirect it somewhere else to a different website. And Ethereum and, and the ENS system are literally trying to plug this system into Ethereum so people can just type in a fucking web address to send you Ethereum instead of the address or just directly using the ENS system on Ethereum. This is the absolute stupidest fucking thing in the name of user friendliness I have ever fucking seen in my life. And I guarantee you, if they go through with this and it's actually widely adopted, people are going to lose a shit ton of money because you are now like directly incentivizing with cryptocurrencies people to attack the DNS system, to compromise people's system, change their DNS configuration, to compromise DNS servers. Like this is fucking retarded. Also, uh, if you're registering your address with MMX, doesn't that mean you're kind of doxing yourself a little bit? Yes. Yeah, you have to. You have to give that information to register a domain. So you have to dox yourself, basically. And if you, and if you give false information, they can just confiscate your domains. So, and uh, while we're on the topic of domain names and uh, not DNS hijacking, but you can also just redirect uh, domains. Um, my favorite domain right now is bitcointerrorist.com. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit, like, yeah, you could just compromise somebody's account and redirect it. You don't even have to compromise a DNS server. But like, th this is just, this is stupidity. Like, this is already a big security issue with the internet. Like, G. Willikers is pointing out in chat, like, you still, when you're using your credit card online, have to hope you're getting redirected to the proper place, that there's actually, you know, certificates set up and verifying things. But now, that's not bad enough. We have to directly tie the transfer of the money itself to that. It's, like, this is complete fucking stupidity. Ah, and Janine has a, a, a security warning while I continue venting. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, so this was two days ago, so it wasn't on our last show, but there was actually a, a problem with the Ledger Wallet Ethereum Chrome application where they were showing the same Ether address to everyone, which means that people could have been sending their Ethereum to a wallet that was being used by multiple people. Yeah, not a good idea. Um, so Ethereum is having a few problems <laughs> in terms of their um, addresses. Uh, and yeah, I also want to point out Ledger, you know, how, how many millions of dollars have they gotten in the last few years? 
like hundreds of millions of dollars, right? I've lost count. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so here, here, this is, I, I fortunately can't show it because it's a picture I took. Uh, but here, here is me reading something from a very small card. It was their promotional card about the new Ledger Nano S. Their card says, state of the art security. Your private keys is protected within a secure chip locked by a pin code, the same chip than the one used for passports and credit cards. Okay, Ledger, when you're getting millions of dollars, um, I think you can afford to hire someone who can speak English properly to at least proofread your promotional material. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, do you... Like you're literally just proving like the point you need is like there there's already enough issues and problems and bugs and security attack surfaces with just the way things work now. We we do not need to be adding more of them. Like yes, there there are user interface issues, there are usability issues with all cryptocurrencies that need to be worked out and solved in the long term. But the idea of just like we'll just hook it into the DNS system, which is riddled with all kinds of fucking vulnerabilities. Like Theo pointed out, is a completely permission system. You can just have that seized and redirected. Like it's ultimately like nothing you can do to stop that. Like that is the stupidest idea in the world. Definitely just gonna give those guys some more headaches to worry about. I mean, like, oh, my God. Ethereum, stop being dumb. Uh, All right, though. All right. I guess we're going into final thoughts here. Yep. Unless anybody's got any last thing to say about uh, how retarded Ethereum is. All right. Final thoughts it is. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a reason I'm kind of been like a little bit out of it today, and I'm a little quiet on the whole Ethereum side of things. Is just because uh, I spent the past 48 hours, or no, no, even more than 48, the past couple of days, I've been at that distributed consensus, uh, which was here in Boulder, and you know, I've been to a, a few of these Bitcoin events, or I haven't been to much blockchain events, but the whole thing was kind of like uh, I got people reached out to me and like brought me in there, and uh, as somebody that was sort of just of the Bitcoin maximalist perspective and, uh, you know, to where we could have discussions to where we could maybe see if there's something where we could break down these tribal walls. Like there was this discussion that, you know, the tribalism isn't a good thing for crypto. And, and, uh, it was just a real interesting, really interesting and fun event, honestly. Like, uh, there was of course, you know, the speak, the presentations, there weren't really like a bunch there to go into like, Oh, these amazing presentations, but, the sidebar discussions were great. I mean, uh, I've been doing these meetups here in town for about a year now and um, going to the meetups for over a year now. But uh, as far as like the going to the blockchain meetups, it's like always been like a uh, headbutting affair to where we don't really uh, get much discussion done other than it's like, you know, you're too centralized or, you know, you're too uh, whatever they want to say about us. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the discussion never really get past the arguments. And it's always been kind of a hindrance for if like, there's this really small industry here where, I mean, like if you go to other places in the, in the globe, maybe there's a, you know, a big crypto community where here it is kind of like uh, limited. I mean, there's 
there's engineers and there's this, uh, you know, kind of sizable blockchain community and a pretty small Bitcoin community. And just to sort of spend a good amount of time with those guys to where it felt like we were building up a real friendship and we could actually discuss these things on a level where, you know, emotions weren't tied up into it, I think is really important because uh, one of the crew over there was from the Wyoming Blockchain Congress that uh, helped build the legislation there for Wyoming for their uh, to get their finances in order for crypto. And some of the lobbyists were here at this event, too. And it was really a distilled down event. Like we said earlier, the prices are down and, uh, you know, not many people were there. So it was interesting to try and get us all together to come an agreement on what some of these words and terminology is that we use, such as decentralization and exactly where is the scale and measure of that and what's it needed for. And, and um, just like uh, it's, it was just really, really kind of eye opening and a little fun just to actually sit down with some of those. Uh, I sat down with this old Bitcoiner who's now big into EOS and, you know, he was explaining to me his big Bitcoin revolutionary moment. And then I kind of asked him like, what's the deal with, this delegated proof of stake model that, you know, is revolutionary. And, you know, I mean, like from his aspect, it's all about mass adoption. And like he can see like that creating the mass adoption aspect. And, you know, this just these different lenses where it's good to like get past the argumentative side to where we kind of just see like what each other's expecting and what we're thinking, because a lot of this, you know, trying to educate the uh, the government about this stuff, it's just we're all coming we're coming from a couple of different levels to where they think they can understand it because they've been listening to an explanation where they understand the idea of this decentralized system and how exactly that works and then somebody comes in and sort of uses it in a context where now all of a sudden their whole idea that they were formulating has been thrown and it's just something good to kind of break down those walls here in this particular location because we're trying to get some of this leg favorable legislation here to drop some money money transmitter laws and just get things in place to where we could build a vibrant crypto economy here in Colorado and uh there was a hashtag hashtag shill Colorado so I guess I'm doing that you know it's like uh man, we need to build this up some more and we need a bigger uh, Bitcoin contingent here. And, you know, we're trying to do things that are, you know, moving the whole ecosystem forward. But it is uh, like I'm saying, it's just a few of us and we're coming together just like now. We're finally coming together and talking on a level where we could discuss these things and try and educate the general public without them getting too confused. But um, it's just... Yeah, it was an interesting, fun, I've kind of said it was the burning man of, of, uh, Bit, of Bitcoin conventions or something or any sort of convention or conference because it was just, uh, yeah, we're in Colorado. There was a few sessions with some joints moving around, a few open bars and lots of good, interesting sidebar discussions, staying out late, having fun. It's uh, It was great, honestly, just kind of like, you know, sort of put down differences and like, let's just have fun and talk about stuff and you know, when we get to the nitty gritty of these technical discussions, then we can have them without them being so emotional. And I think it really did help in that. So uh, it was fun. I mean, uh, I, I think they're going to be doing it again next year. Maybe it'll be a, a just as big or bigger. And it's going to. Yeah, I think that's something that maybe we should all try and do is like maybe just like, uh, you know, get a little more friendly and don't bring up the technical arguments right at first. And let's see if maybe we can have some discussions that move the whole space forward. That was my final thought. 
All right, Janine, your thoughts are loaded. Go. Sorry, click the wrong button. Um, yeah, so this is a bit of a follow-up because on the last show, my story was about sim swapping, and this was a tweet I saw after the show um, where this guy was saying that when he worked on, um, I think he said, incident response, he found that at one cell phone company, there was about 70 attempts to socially engineer a customer support representative within 48 hours, which is roughly somewhere between one and a half, two times, I think, per hour. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> so yeah. that's bad. <laughs> Stop using yeah. 2FA for a phone. All right. And one more. Go. And this is just a more uh, good news development update where Zap, I believe this was three days ago, said that uh, they were looking to get more language translations of the wallet so that more people around the world who are not English speakers could use it. And there has been a lot of contributions in that area. Um, I haven't checked uh, lately today what the count is, but as of three days ago, he said that there was seven different languages that were being worked on. So if you are a person who is able to translate uh, from English into your language and you notice that your language is not included, you might want to help with that because it doesn't look like it takes too much time. And that would be really helpful because that means that more people in your country can start experimenting with the Lightning Network. Woohoo! All right, Theo, what you got for us? Final thoughts. Spit them at us. Is it my turn? Yes. Uh, yeah, my final thoughts are dump it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then uh, instead of a meme today, I'm going to yell at everybody once again. Go pick up a copy of The Sovereign Individual by James Dale Davidson and Lord William Reese Mogg if you haven't and read it. If you are in the Bitcoin ecosystem and you have not read this book, you have not gotten your bearings yet, and you are stumbling around lost. So find yourself. And I guess on that note, we will see you all Wednesday. Toodaloo. Read it, but only if you want to. No, read it.